Hello, and welcome back to What's Next, a podcast exploring the technology of tomorrow and what it means for us today. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. In the wake of GDPR, mobile developers need to take extra steps to ensure user data is protected. They also need to keep their apps free of bugs and not serving up inappropriate ads. That's what Safety K is for. Today, we're talking with co-founder Ronnie Sternberg about how Safety K helps developers keep third-party SDKs in check. Welcome to the show, Ronnie. Thank you for having me. Um, so to start, maybe tell us what is Safety K and what does the company do? Okay, so we have a solution that helps app publishers monitor and control their third-party SDKs that they integrate within their app. So how many, uh, when we talk about third-party SDKs, you know, an app developer builds an app and then they plug in all these different parts from other developers and they're called SDKs. What's the point of each of those SDKs? So I can tell you that right now, on average, an app publisher integrates 18 different SDKs into their app. It's third-party code that they do not write. They do not know exactly what it does. Uh, but it has different functionalities. The most common ones are advertising SDKs and analytics, some social payment SDKs, advanced technologies, VR, AR. We see the rise of them as well. Uh, and the idea is that publishers don't need to reinvent the wheel and write something from the start, but take these off the shelves to enhance their app. So on average, there are now 18 SDKs. And when we started the company, there were only 13 SDKs on average in a mobile app. So 18 is the average number of SDKs, which which means that I'm sure there are some apps that have a lot more. What's the most number of SDKs that you've seen integrated into a single app? We have a publisher that had in its peak about 70 SDKs, 7-0. We see different apps that have around 60 uh, many with 48 SDKs, around 50 SDKs. It's crazy. Most publishers that use us have around 30 SDKs, anywhere between 8 and 30. That's that's sort of the sweet spot. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and when you say you started the company, how long has that been? So we started the company uh, four years ago in 2014. And uh, the idea was to give some kind of transparency into the world of mobile SDKs to app publishers. Okay, so just in the last four years, the number of FCKs that app developers are using has increased by 50%. Um, what's that increase come from? Are there new SDKs or use cases that people want to plug in, or are they just getting more comfortable with the idea of this third-party code running in their app? So there are a few parts to that answer. One is that they use more SDKs for the same purpose. So you use one SDK for advertising. You don't stick to just one. You take four of them to have more flexibility and to see who's running better campaigns in your app. There are advanced technologies, as I mentioned, VR, AR, machine learning, uh, cloud-based. So there are new capabilities that are now available that weren't available four years ago. And publishers, although they don't always like using SDKs, they kind of got used to it. Okay. Um, so how did you get started? Like, what was your personal career and background before founding Safety K? So I, I actually started my career in uh, New York. I studied uh, finance and international business at NYU. And then, uh, like every graduate, I went to work in consulting. Uh, after five years in the States, I moved back to Israel and I joined uh, Benny Landa. He's uh, the father of digital printing. 
And I joined him when he opened a new startup after selling his old one to HP. And I was in charge of all the business development, OEMs, marketing. Uh, and then after seven years, I decided it was time to start something of my own. And I met Orly, my co-founder, and then we started Safety K. And when you first started those conversations with Orly, how did that kick off? I'm always curious, like just co-founder relationships and how they find each other and how they decide to work together. So this is actually a very funny story because Orly and I met through a common friend. She studied with me uh, my MBA and worked with Orly and Intel. And she said, listen, you have to meet Orly. She's thinking about starting a startup. I said, okay, I'll meet Orly. We met on a Tuesday evening, the day I left my old job, and we started Save Decay on the following Sunday. That was it. We met each other. It was love at first sight, and that was it. We started the company. We said, okay, we'll try a month. We'll see that it works out. And now we're four years later, and things are going well. And how did the idea come about when you first started talking about it? Yeah, so in Orly's previous job, she worked in a company called Telmap, which was acquired by Intel. And the idea was they had a navigation app. And from her own experience of trying to find SDKs, the right SDKs, and to uh, once they integrated to finish QA and everything, suddenly in specific countries, specific versions, the SDKs cause problems, excessive battery consumption or crashes. And she said, it can't be that we're working so hard and eventually we get stuck with it. So she came up with the idea. She shared it with me and that was it. Okay. We, yeah, we, of course, tried to see the market needs it and not just us. But uh, that's where it came from. So when you were originally founding this idea, was it specifically around performance or security or what was the need for you know managing all these SDKs? So we do a few things. The first one is, was performance to see exactly privacy issues. Are SDKs accessing private user data? Who's crashing the app? Who's slowing it down? Excessive network consumption or location consumption? And our patent technology is the ability to turn off SDKs remotely. So if there is a critical bug or some kind of malfunction, you can turn off the SDK remotely and it penetrates to all the users out there and you don't need a version update, which is always the painful thing. And the last part is 18 months ago, we started with a small feature that gave transparency into the ads that run within apps. Uh, it's called the ad intelligence. And it started just to show publishers which ads run within their app. And it got a life of its own. Publishers really wanted to know this information. They had lack of transparency. And that's how the ad intelligence became the third pillar of our solution. Gotcha. So when you talk to customers, how many of them are interested in the performance section versus security versus third-party privacy issues? So it's interesting. I think ones that do not have ads at all, they care very much about the privacy and with the GDPR that everybody's been hearing about for so long now, they care even more about privacy and there's always the issue of performance. But when it comes to companies with ads, they come for the ads and then they figure out that they can get so much more out of our solutions. So they use everything else also, but they came for the ads. Okay. Yeah. Let's break this down into different parts. And so let's start with ads. Okay. So you recently published a blog post, which is which was like, you know, these are the ads that are uh, appearing in your apps. Um, talk me through some of the types of ads that you found in in that process. Yeah. So 
we see inappropriate ads on a hourly basis on customers dashboards means that these ads are showing in kids apps in casual games in uh, news publishers there are inappropriate ads running everywhere now inappropriate might be porn but it can be just uh, casino games or it can be something that's not suitable for kids such as trading we see these horrifying ads running out there and publishers don't always know or usually do not know that that happens until somebody raises a flag actually the ad filtering part it's interesting to me um, and I feel bad for the people that actually have to like mark things as inappropriate um, because they probably just see the worst content um, that you could possibly see but what's the actual process does a user or does a developer flag something and then you have a team that looks at it and marks it as inappropriate or how does that work So there are two ways that it works. The first one is we have a team of uh, students there and they review images and they know if it's a kids app or if it's a casino app or if it's a news publisher just to know what type of content is inappropriate. They mark it by themselves uh, and this all goes and fed to our algorithm that it teaches it to recognize inappropriate ads on its own. On the other hand, publishers can flag or unflag ads as well. So they can choose, okay, this ad, we found that it was inappropriate, but they think it isn't appropriate. So they have no issue, they unflag. And what they do next is they choose all the ads that they marked as inappropriate or we did and send it to the ad network. They said they send it to a specific network and say, okay, listen guys, these are the ads that you showed in our app. Please make it stop. And that's why now we're working with the SDK side of, of that as well to help them eliminate the inappropriate ads quickly, either inappropriate or buggy ads as well. Okay. So you mentioned ads. You mentioned also app performance. Uh, let's, let's bucket that out and talk about that. What are some of the issues that uh, app developers run into on that side of things? In terms of performance... SDKs can access all the private user information the app receives. So as a user, we know why we give the app access to our contacts or accounts or whatever it is, but we don't know that the 18 SDKs within it can access this information. And that's a very big thing. Now, I don't expect users to know anything about it, and I'm happy that they don't, but at least publishers can monitor and see our SDKs accessing this private user data. And if so, they can turn off specific permissions. Uh, crashes. Crashes and ANRs. ANRs is when the app freezes are a big, painful thing. Users experience these crashes and they just turn. They leave the app. They say, okay. Uh, they don't care if it's the SDK or the app itself that crashes. It's a crash and I'll just uninstall the app. The same goes with start time of the app. So you click on the button and by the time you see something on the screen past four seconds. You're not going to stay there. So these are the type of things that publishers really care about. So when you talk about SDK crashes or apps that become buggy or they're slow or they just shut down, is that usually the fault of the SDK? Is that the fault of the app not integrating it the right way? Um, who's usually, what's usually the problem there? So the problem is that it can happen anywhere in the food chain. It can either be the fault of the SDK itself. It can be something with integration with the operating system. 
in terms of uh, Google Oreo came out and suddenly SDKs are not allowed to run in the background, so they crash apps. So it's either the SDK didn't fix itself or the app itself hasn't updated a version of that specific SDKs. And there are always issues that apps do not integrate SDKs the right way and therefore it might crash the app. So it's across the board. But about 50% of crashes within apps are SDK crashes, which is a big number. So it's not the SDK developers. Yeah, it's either yeah. exactly. It's either it is their problem uh, and they did not think about it in advance or it's an old version. And sometimes there are SDK issues. We had a publisher that their SDK, one of their SDK had a problem connecting to the server and the app crashed. No user could have used the app. And then, yeah, it is an issue of the SDK itself. Right. So one of the things that you do, which I, I personally find really interesting, is that you publish sort of research. Like you have this deep look into a large customer set, the number of SDKs that they're using, the types of SDKs that they're using, the types of problems that they're running into. What are some of the most surprising findings for someone who's not in that world beyond just the large number of SDKs that developers use? That's a very interesting question. Uh, Privacy is one of the interesting statistics that we see there. The amount of SDKs that access private user information is extremely high. Uh, I think in the latest uh, survey we had was about 57% of SDKs still access some type of private user information, which is an enormous number. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and trends within SDKs, for example, the you can see payment SDKs going up, which is extremely interesting, more Bitcoins SDK. So you see how the market and the SDK market go together very closely. Uh, if Every time there is an acquisition within the market, there are very interesting trends there as well. Hmm. So as a consumer, I subscribe to lots of different apps. You download an app, you create a username and password, you give the app some amount of information. And then there's that social contract that I believe that I'm giving this app my information. I'm going to get some value out of it. But I don't necessarily think about you know, that private user information traveling to some third party. The thing that is most interesting is nothing has changed in this area since we started the company. SDKs can always access private user information. The same information, of course, the app has. If the app doesn't have access, the SDK can access it. For example, user apps. What other apps are installed on the device? They don't know. There is no um, permission that is needed. So nobody knows exactly what's happening there. And once publishers start using our solution, they turn off this private information in order to to take care of their end users. And is that something that you build in sort of by default or are you just sort of educating developers once they sign up that this is a problem and they should turn it off for each of these different SDKs? So we educate them a lot of times uh, to tell them that this is an issue. We do a lot of content on that topic as well. So that's one side. On the other hand, with GDPR and publishers having to take control of their third-party SDKs, then suddenly there is much more awareness on this entire topic. 
Okay, so let's actually, this is a good place to talk about GDPR and all that's changed. For those who don't know what GDPR is, probably everybody listening to this podcast has received a bunch of emails saying we're updating our privacy policy because of GDPR and not really understanding why. Um, but what happened? What is GDPR and why did it affect all of the services or newsletters or apps that people use? So the EU has decided to come out with new regulations, the General Data Protection Regulations, the GDPR, they came out this May. And the idea behind it was to give privacy and to take care of the European users better. They have the right to agree or disagree for companies to take their information. Suddenly, the, the European Union decided that, it, and it's not suddenly, it's something that happened gradually, but it gave a shock to the entire industry. Suddenly, you need to have your data saved in such a way that you can forget your users or you need their explicit consent or a lot of different things that didn't happen. Now you can say, okay, that's just Europe, but why do we feel it in the U.S. as well? The issue is that as long as you have even one user in Europe, you are bound by the GDPR. So that really changed everything in terms of the market and a lot of companies was were and are still trying to understand exactly what it incorporates. Right. I'm sure it was great for your business. <laughs> but, oh, yes. But maybe maybe talk about that. Why, why was that so important for a company like SafetyK? So we did. There are two angles why it's important. The, one, the first one is that we recognized when we started hearing more and more about GDPR, suddenly it gave the focus on apps and the third-party SDKs within apps. So suddenly publishers came to us and said, okay, okay, we need help with the GDPR. What does it mean? And the th second thing is because we, we sell to publishers, we need a lot of content. And we decided to work very hardly on, on owning the term GDPR for mobile because there was, was no literature about that yet. There was no checklist about what you need to ask your SDKs. So we started working on specific content and ebooks and blogs and everything to own that term and by that increasing the leads that get to safe decay so it's both publishers and the leads that have to do with it right i'm kind of curious like what sort of macro trends you've seen since gdpr has come into effect um because i know personally for me i received that raft of emails where i essentially had to re-opt into all of these services, newsletters, apps, etc. And in a lot of cases, I just clicked unsubscribe as opposed to saying, yes, this is, I, I agree to share my information again. Um, so are you seeing a lot of churn as a result of these regulations going into effect? In terms of the apps and the SDKs that are integrated within them, we don't see much churn. We saw a bit of a freeze in terms of adding more SDKs for a month or so. There was kind of, everybody was trying to figure out what they need to do. Uh, they updated a lot of SDKs to comply with GDPR. Uh, but then everything was back business as usual because the SDKs did a pretty good job in making sure their SDKs are GDPR compliant. So once everybody integrated, that's, water under the bridge. Everybody's continuing updating their apps again. Right. I actually have no view into what the, like, what is the regulatory framework or structure like? Are are they going to be checking in? And how do we know, like, what's the actual process there? Do you know? So 
We still don't know exactly what's going to happen. We saw that the beginning, uh, Google and Facebook got some kind of class action suit or whatever. Somebody tried to do that. I think they're going to tackle the big businesses first before they come to small, less popular organizations. But it's, I think it's too early to say. You mentioned um, you're seeing more payment SDKs. And if I think of that in a macro sense, that tells me that people are more willing to pay for the apps that they use or the content that they're reading on their mobile phone as opposed to just running on advertising. Um, curious what your thoughts are on that or if that you think is a is a reasonable thing to assume. So there are both, uh, we see use of in-app payment, in-app purchases. We see quite a lot of that. You pay to get more life in a game. You, I think it's somewhere split between uh, that and rewarded videos and other kinds of payment so-called methods. But we see the payment SDKs in each and every app now. News publishers, uh, games, kids games, wherever you want, you can see them. PayPal has three different SDKs for payment now. And I told you about the Bitcoin one and the sky's the limit. Yeah. When we talk about stuff like Facebook and Google um, and the way that people connect within apps, are you seeing any change in sort of OAuth or, you know, uh, log in with Facebook or log in with Google, log in with Twitter, as opposed to just creating an email and password? So I can tell you in terms of the SDKs, we see an increase in the social SDKs integration throughout these four years. So we see the beginning, there was just little, it was 20 something percent. Now we're talking about approximately 50 percent of apps have social connection. Sometimes you can't even log in without connecting through Facebook or Google Plus or whatever it is. So we see an increase in the amount of usage of the SDK itself, which can imply that people are using it more and more. And and by the way, they use it just to give life to each other, playing a game or share or tweet or something like that. So you can't even get away from it, really. Right. I remember, you know, a few years ago, it was especially true that there were certain apps where you couldn't log in or you couldn't create an identity without a Facebook login. But I, in my own personal experience, I feel like that's changed a little bit where more services have that email option um, as opposed to just relying on third party login. Yeah, that may be true. Um because not everyone has Facebook, and it all depends on the audience of the app. If it's too younger, they're young kids, then they don't have Facebook access, etc. Older people, so it all depends on the age group and the purpose of the the app. But you can play games and not connect to your Facebook, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, I think the big one is like dating apps. They they want to ensure that someone is like a real individual, and so they rely on that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. So switching gears a little bit, you and your co-founder are both women in a very male-dominated industry. What has that experience been like in founding the company? So I don't know any other way. So it's been a good experience, uh, but it's always surprising. People are... Uh, People are surprised to see two female founders. There are a growing number of female founders. Uh, we see that in Israel. But it's never, uh, oh, that's the same as male. Uh, we don't see ourselves any different. We are agnostic to gender. This is us. Uh, but it is 
we can be in an event and we will be the only two females out there. It's that, that interesting. But again, we have a team that has, I think we're pretty much 50% female, 50% male, which is also great. Uh, we take the best people out there. So it doesn't really matter, female, male. Uh, and we have the skill set to do it. So I think it probably helps the fact that you're, you know, you're both female as opposed to starting from a group of two to four men and then having to work backwards and, and recruit women into an organization, right? Yeah, I think you, you might be right just because people and women uh, maybe have more tendency to come to work with us because we're female-founded company. Maybe. Most of the people, by the way, we took to work with us have worked with us in the past. Most of them have either worked with Orly or we know from different places. So it's, uh, it has very much to do with our culture as well and the people that come to join us. If you weren't doing what you were doing at Safety K, um, what other areas of tech are you fascinated by or would you want to work on? So I am very techy, although I never studied computer science. I'm very techy and I'm a data geek. So everything that has to do with data and technology, that's uh, where my sweet spot is. I like seeing the numbers. I like seeing what's going up, what's going down, trends, ads, how they look, what happens there. That's where any kind of data that I can uh, really put my hands on. Uh, but I can't think of doing anything else but safety cake, I must say it, because this is who we are. This is what we've been doing. But that's where my focus is. Okay, so just to close things out, what does the world look like when safety cake becomes ubiquitous or when every app uses the platform? We all we started from the get go, and and we really believe that that we can't understand how publishers use SDKs without safety cake, because they miss all this transparency and control. So that's where it has to go. Between that and ads and and cleaning up what's happening out there, we're trying to fix both sides, both help the app publishers, but also the SDKs. We have so much data on what's running out there. We want to help them fix what they're doing. Okay. All right, cool. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to What's Next. We'll be releasing a new episode every other week this summer, so subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for What's Next or go to samsungnext.com slash podcast. Next time, we'll chat with VidRover founder Joe Ellis about how his company is solving the problem of video search. I'm your host, Ryan Lawler. And this episode of What's Next was produced by Rachel King and Janaki Mehta with Claire Mullen as sound engineer for Pod People. If you have questions or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on Twitter at Samsung Next or send us an email at podcast at samsungnext.com. Until next time. <laughs>